All right, good evening, church. It's great to see all of you guys again. Um, if you will open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3. And, um, you know, this morning uh, the, the Lord moved me. So my uh, message is centered around the office of deacons, but God wanted me to include the office of elders as well. Um, he has definitely moved me to change my whole introduction and to uh, bring up uh, memories I so wish to forget. Um, so with that said, if you can please rise for God's reading of the reading of his word. And we're going to start from verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 13. That is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 down to 13. And the title of my sermon is Looking at Church Leaders. The scripture reads, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. And for those who have served well as deacons, acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So with all that said, let us go to our Lord God in prayer once more. Lord, I just pray, Father, that tonight that everyone would understand the importance of the biblical qualifications here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I pray, Father, that they will not take this lighthearted, but I pray, Father, that each and every one of us, all of us, need to take this seriously. So much stuff that is happening in the, really just in your house, Lord. And so I just pray, Father, that we will be people of the word, that we will commit this to memory, that we will hold fast to these qualifications. 
Guide us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us the ability to remember all that you have said. And let us give a defense for your word. Let us hold people accountable to your word. We thank you, Lord. And we pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned before, this is something that I really just wanted to forget. And as I was uh, about to finish up on my sermon here, there was something that kept tugging at my heart. And the memories kept flooding back to, two, to 2011 every time. And it just would not keep out of my mind. So I'm just like, well, Lord, obviously you want me to share this information and I pray that this information will be useful. I pray that it will be useful for God's kingdom first, <laughs> but also useful for everyone who is here present and those who are listening online. So with that said, let me begin with this story. 14 years ago, I became a member of Community Bible Church in San Diego. At that time, Barry Manko served as a senior pastor of the church. The church averaged around 700 members. And you know, I remember the moment I stepped out of the car and walked towards the church building. Everyone greeted me with a smile. The moment you entered the main sanctuary, it was like, a, like the air itself was filled with, with joy with pride, not in an evil way, but more pride in, in God. Redemption. Barry Minkle's sermons were enriched with the gospel, and he often spoke to the congregation about his criminal past and how faith, faith had helped him to turn his life around. You see, Barry Mankel had been sent to prison for defrauding investors out of millions through a company he lodged as a teenager known as carpet cleaning firm Z's Best. I wouldn't have named a company like that, but hey. <laughs> um, but this is where Barry had conned investors. I think it was estimated around $100 million. And that's a lot of money in the 1980s, a lot of money. When the scheme collapsed, he was sentenced to 89, uh, and he was sentenced in 1989 to 25 years in prison. Well, he didn't serve 25 years because after, well, he, he actually was released in 1995. And after his release, he there, he studied, the, uh, studied theology at Jerry, Falwell's Liberty, uh, Liberty University. And then soon after, San Diego Community Bible Church hired him. And it is there that he spent 14 years as senior pastor. Church, you would think that this would be a happy ever after. But things changed very quickly, very rapidly. In 2011, Manko was accused of securities frauds in Florida 
And soon after, we learned, meaning the church, that Barry has stolen more than $3 million. Prosecutor said that he used the money to fund a Hollywood movie about his life. Interesting enough, I, I remember him um, being gone for some time, and he would come back to the to the church, and he would announce that he is uh, filming a movie in Hollywood, and it was about his life. You know, the original title of the movie was supposed to uh, was supposed to be named Redemption, but now. They changed the title to Con Man. Let me read some personal statements regarding the reputation of Barry Manko. And this is obviously when he was caught in 2011. The reputation outside the church. An assistant U.S. Attorney General said... Barry Mankel used every mechanism available to him to steal money. One prosecutor wrote, at, this, at, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at its most simple, Barry blatantly stole, blatantly stole money from the Sunday's collection play. He also wrote that over the course of nearly a decade, Barry also used any number of additional mechanisms to bleed every dollar possible from the church and its congregants. The reputation inside the church, well, it reads that Mr. Manko devoured the church he was hired to care for. And that was uh, said by Scott Lowther, which is the current senior pastor of Community Bible Church. And this was one of the nine people who spoke at his a sentence hearing. La, la, um, I'm just going to call him Pastor Scott because that's why I'm known. So Pastor Scott said that he has spent three years trying to clean up Mankel's mess, which caused the church insurance costs, 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 excuse me, and insurance costs to skyrocket and drove away church members. Pastor Scott continues to say, uh, well, he says that it will take many years for us to recover if we even, if we can, if we even can. One prosecutor noted that some of the money had been returned, but it was not three million dollars. Pastor Scott said that Barry had not shown any remorse, and he even wrote a letter to the church after he left saying, "You knew what I was when you hired me." You know, it just, it brings back a lot of memories because once again, seeing how the lives of people were, were, were so focused and, and so gospel-centered, just to walk into that building every time, it was just like, man, it's just like, this is what God does. He, he, he redeems. He saves sinners. And then you kind of get hit by the bricks because it was, it was, 
it was something that was so sudden because I was part of his pastoral uh, training uh, course that he was teaching at CBC. And I remember one of the guys had, had, to, had mentioned that uh, his, uh, or what uh, article that he, he saw, um, I think it was, yeah, it was on the internet. And he was describing some of the issues that he saw uh, of, of, of what took place in Florida. And then I remember Barry just kind of just, you know, very casually sweep that away. And we didn't think nothing of it. It's just like we just thought the media was trying to get some type of story, try to, you know, take down our pastor. And then it was two nights, I think it was uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night, that, um, that all of a sudden I, I received an email from Community Bible Church and it said that Barry Manko resigned from his position. And it was so sudden. It was, it was just like, what? Like, what happened? And I, and I wrote an email to, to, to his email address. I'm, I was going to share it, but then I was like, I don't, want, I don't want to share it because it just, you know, it does pain me inside. And, uh, yeah, so let me continue reading. Upon Barry Mankel's surprise resignation from his position as senior pastor, the elders called an emergency church meeting to discuss the resignation of Barry Manko. With over 400 members in attendance, everyone at the meeting felt confused, discouraged, and disheartened. Everyone wanted answers. And we most certainly got answers, but it was, not, it was answers that we were not happy with. The elders let the cat out of the bag. The elders confessed that they knew Barry had stolen the money for some time. And when they confronted Barry about the stolen money, Barry agreed with the elders that he would forego his church salary to pay back what he had stolen. And I believe at that moment that everyone was shocked. I was definitely shocked. One of the church members asked, well, why did you not act? In response to the question, they said that they were afraid of the news getting out and it would cause a mass exodus in the church. I remember several occasions during Barry's sermon that he would declare that he never managed the church finances because of his history. That was a lie. That was a lie. But what made it worse was that the elders who participated in the same church service as I never corrected Barry. They never called him out. Barry made a false statement regarding the management of church funds, and the elders did nothing. They did nothing. Wow. Why? Because they were just afraid to lose church members? They cared more about that than to hold on to God's word, to hold this man accountable to God's word, to move forward with church discipline, to remove this guy from ministry? 
But there's more. There's more. Let me read something to you in Acts chapter 20, verses 28. It reads, Be on guard for yourselves, for all of the flock, for which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Many will rise up even from your own number to distort the truth and to lure disciples into following them. You see, church, I repeated the word savage wolves because Barry was not the lone wolf in this. Barry was the leader of the wolf pack. You see, after a few years after the departure of Barry, God cleaned house. He definitely cleaned house. And Community Bible Church Church has new leadership. In fact, I have been commissioned as one of those leaders. You see, as an elder, I receive additional information regarding the theft of $3 million. You see, there were men who were serving in the leadership position that were in cahoots with Barry. And they too were filling their pockets with God's money. And then on top of that, Man, I, I, I never realized the sinfulness that was taking place within the church. I'm not going to go into details about those things because that was that information was given to me in, in confidentiality, and I'm going to uphold that. But I'm letting you know that there were various sins that ran rapid inside the church. It was a complete mess. There were men that were teaching bad doctrine. Sexual misconduct. I I just never realized that. And the reason why I didn't realize that is because I just showed up there to Sunday morning and I was here to to be in the message, to be in the word, and to be a part of the, the congregation but it was only for a short time. And then I left and I went on and, and you know, at the time I was active duty military and I you know, went to work or me and Leslie would go home and spend time with each other. But that was it. That was to the, to the extent of my commitment to the church. I wasn't serving. And when it came to 1 Timothy chapter 3, or, or perhaps, let's just, when it comes to the whole letter of the epistles of 1 Timothy, it's just like, yeah, I read it. Cool. You know, that's it. But I was never really fully engaged in the church. But after the whole Barry Manko, man, I, I was so convicted. I was just like, I need to serve. I need to be in this church. And I just cannot sit here and just, and just be... A, 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 a fat little sheep in, 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 the, in the pews. 
But then once I learned more and more about what would happen and what took place and, and all the ugly stuff, my jaw dropped to the floor. Pastor Scott spoke the truth when he said that it would take many years for the church to recover if they can. And it did. We were in financial turmoil. Nobody didn't want us to, uh, uh, we couldn't get another loan. We were stuck at a high interest loan, which cost, uh, cost the church, I mean, thousands of dollars e each month. And just dealing with the amount of really just false teachers within the church, man, it was such, it was difficult. It was difficult. It took the church years to recover, and it's still recovering. It still has not gotten where it needs to be. So you may be asking, is, once again, why am I sharing the story with you? Why am I sharing the story of crime and fraud and Ponzi schemes? Well, let me tell you the, the real truth. The real truth is really just two words, the gospel. The gospel. You see, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27. He said this. He says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending, content, contending together for the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. Church, children of God, believers. Look, our conduct should be that in light of the gospel. As citizens of heaven, we live a life worthy of the gospel. Our life should be that of one spirit, of one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Let me kind of back up here because I used the word Conduct. And this is what conduct, this is what it means. It means that our actions, our performances, our responses, our behaviors should be conducted in light of the gospel. The letter of 1 Timothy is about Christian conduct in light of the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15, it reads that, but if I should be delayed, this is Paul speaking, and he's writing this to, to young Timothy here. I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. I, am, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy because he was deeply concerned about the church conduct. The Christians at the church at Ephesus were not living for the truth of the gospel. Members were straying away from sound doctrine. They were preoccupied with myths and genealogies and speculations. Members and, le uh, members and leaders that uh, misused the law. Leaders forbade marriage and eating certain foods. Leaders were using the church for material gain.
You see, church, the, the church in Ephesus no longer guarded the gospel. They no longer celebrated the gospel. And they did not fight for the gospel. Why? Well, it started with its leaders. The church leaders failed to hold on to the gospel. And as a result of that failure, the Apostle Paul listed the biblical qualifications for elders and deacons. Each qualification, or, or excuse me, each requirement is a must. It is a must. Each qualification counters the descriptions of the false teachers in Ephesus. Thus, the qualification involves personal characteristics, not duties. So tonight, tonight we will specifically, once again, discover the biblical qualifications of deacons, but keep in mind that the qualifications are a reflection of the gospel. The qualifications of elders and deacons is a reflection of the gospel. So we must guard it. We must protect it. But most importantly, we should celebrate in it. So the central idea when it comes to this passage is that the qualifications listed for elders and deacons is to combat ungodliness in the church. Now, before diving into the qualifications of deaconship, I just want to touch on the responsibilities of deacons. Going back to Acts chapter 6, the apostle said that it will not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. You see, here that we understand that the apostle's primary responsibility is the church spiritual health, not the physical needs. Otherwise, the apostles cannot perform their primary responsibility. And it is the same for elders. So let me just real briefly give you three areas of responsibilities when it comes to deacons. Deacons must support the, uh, the, uh, the ministry of the word. That is their first responsibility, that deacons must support the ministry of the word. So going back to Acts chapter 6, where I just read, it said, it will, it will not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. You see, the needs of the people have become too great for the apostles to manage themselves. So they establish a place for men to serve the congregation. These men would have, uh, excuse me, these men would have to be uh, men who had a good reputation in the community and also have to be Christian men who lived their lives according to the gospel. These men provided aid and support for the apostles to continue the work without being distracted by other matters. We must understand that deacons are not involved in the teaching tasks and shepherding. Deacons are not responsible for the spiritual health of the church, but for the physical needs of the congregation. As seen in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, the apostles appointed seven men to care for the physical demands of the community and the daily distribution of food. The office had been created so that the, apostle, that the apostles can address the spiritual needs of the church. In fact, 
we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that deacons are not required to teach. They're not required to teach, which sets them apart from the elders. You see, teaching is not connected to their office. It doesn't mean a person, and let me just say this, it doesn't mean that a person who holds the office of deacon cannot participate in other church ministries such as preaching of the word or anything outside his specific responsibilities as deacons. Once again, the function of deacons is to provide support for the elders so that they can continue their work without being distracted. The second responsibility when it comes to deacons is that deacons are accountable for specific commands. Specific commands. So once again, highlighting back to Acts chapter 6, we see that the church widows needed to be looked after. And that was a specific need that needed to be addressed. The apostle gave a specific command to address that specific need. It's a lot of specifics in there. Deacons must be willing to carry out the specific orders given by the apostles. So what can be specific needs within the church? Well, it can be hospitality. It can be groundkeeping, ushering, biblical counseling, assisting with uh, with parking, managing the finances of the church. Now, it may not be mentioned explicitly in the Bible, but they fulfill a specific need related to the scriptural mandate. The third responsibility of deacons is that deacons unify the church around the word. Deacons work hard to promote unity in the church. So once again, going back to Acts chapter 6, The widows of the Hellenistic Jews were neglected in the daily distribution of the food. That physical neglect was causing spiritual disunity within the church. For there was a complaint that arose by the Hellenistic Jews. I'm not going to go into too much details because I already preached on that. So it's a caveat for you guys to go listen to that sermon in Acts chapter (laughs) 6. But deacons were uh, appointed to, to squash the, the rising conflict, conflict. Thus, they are called shock absorbers. So once again, the three, er- the three areas of responsibility of deacons is that one, that they support the ministry of the word. Two, that deacons are accountable for specific commands. Three, that deacons unify the church around the word. Now, having looked at the responsibilities of deacons, we can now turn to their qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. Now, I want to let you know (laughs) that since many of the qualifications for deacons are the same as those for elders, we will only focus our attention on those qualifications that are unique to deacons. That's what we're going to be focusing on. So if you want to hear the rest of the qualifications, just go back to my sermon on eldership and you will hear those qualifications that are not met, that 
really is repeated in uh, deacons, in the qualifications of deacons, you can hear that in great detail. Verse 8. It reads that deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money. The first qualification that Paul lists for deacons are or that they should be worthy of respect. Deacons' moral character and public reputation are essential to leading God's people. A deacon must not be double-tongued or two-faced or indulging in double talk. You see, deacons must mean what they say and say what they mean. So in a nutshell, a deacon's yes must be yes, and his no must be no. And the reason Paul lists that qualification is because there were church leaders in Ephesus who used their words to manipulate situations for personal gain. So in the same way that Barry Manko used his position to manipulate people for material gain. Paul is letting us know that a double-tongued person is unreliable and unqualified to serve as a deacon. In verse 9, it reads, Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The reference to the uh, mystery of the faith is another way for Paul to speak of the gospel. Another way to speak of the gospel. You see, the gospel is essential because the false teachers of the law were such a problem that they blended the truth of the gospel with errors. Men in the church shipwrecked their faith because they did not hold to the gospel. In 1 Timothy 1.19, it says that some have, ship, have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. Now, there are three requirements for this qualification. First, deacons must know, must know and accept the teachings of the gospel as written in the scripture. The facts about the life of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was essential. It is essential. Deacons must be able to articulate and explain the fundamental points of the gospel. Second, the deacons must have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the deacons must have embraced the faith himself. He must give a personal witness in faith and genuine repentance in Christ Jesus. He must not be an unbeliever or unable to provide a honorable profession of faith. Third, the deacons must hold fast to the truths with a clear conscience, meaning that his life must conform to the faith that he professes. It's not merely that he has the truth of the gospel, but he lives a life worthy of the gospel. You see, 
once again, just highlighting the, the issues that were going on in that church. It's very similar to what happened at CBC. You have all these false teachers that have infiltrated the church. Why? Because the leaders that Paul left in charge did not heed to his, uh, to, to his words. They did not listen to his predictions. Hey, if you do not hold the people accountable to the word of God, then savage wolves are going to come in. You're going to have so much sinful activities within the church because Paul has had experienced that already. But they did not heed to Paul's words. You got to have men who is able to articulate the basic elements when it comes to the gospel. And it must live that out. That's what Paul is combating because there were so many leaders that did not, could not articulate the gospel and they surely did not live it out. Verse 10, it must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Another qualification is the need for deacons to be tested before filling in an official position in the church. Paul states that those who prove themselves blameless can serve as deacons. Now, blameless uh, refers to the overall character of a person's lives. So what needed to be tested in their lives? Well, at minimum, their their personal background, their reputation, their theological positions. That's what needed to be tested. Let me kind of draw more into that, that, that qualification. You see, serving others is rewarding, yet some situations can be challenging. Serving will test your patience, love, endurance, and joy. There are times deacons will be called to several complicated problems resulting in grave sin, serious sin. And that's very important because churches, it's not good just to have a a novice to handle serious sin. What you need is is a deacon who is battle-tested. Sorry, a thought had come to me because there have been several churches that I've been to that a lot of the men were not battle tested. And that's when sin had appeared. One one man had fell into (laughs) adultery. Another had a, a gambling addiction another alcoholism, and yet that we have people in leadership positions that didn't really know how to utilize, or or better yet, have the wisdom to apply God's word into those situations. And, man, some of those men that they, they end up leaving a church, and, I mean, 
And I remember one guy is just like him saying, he's just like, you got people in here that don't know what they're talking about. That's why you got to have battle tested men. You got to have battle tested elders. You got to have battle tested deacons. So then that way, when a serious issue happens, that they know how to, to utilize the scriptures to speak into your life. So we must be careful to choose who to take, who to take care of the needs of, the, of this church. Remember, they represent us and they give direction to us. So highlighting back to the reputation of that of Barry Manko outside the church, I read you some of the statements of that of, of Barry Manko. And just think, how, how do you think that that reflects upon God and his gospel? But then what makes it more worse is that the elders of the church knew about his situation, and yet they did nothing. Because in my mind, I thought that these guys were battle-tested. Like, hey, you, you're supposed to hold this man accountable, right? Oh, let's settle for a deal. You forgo your church salary, and you can go ahead and remain in, in your position. And as being as a, when I was a, on board as an elder, I, I realized that there were a lot of men during Barry's tenure that were not even qualified for that that particular position. Just because one guy is good at finances does not make him an elder. <sighs> Verse eleven. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. So the million-dollar question here is that, does the Bible support women deacons? Whether women should be deacons is a problematic matter. It is debated among biblical scholars and pastors and teachers concerning this topic. You have men that, uh, who are well-known, Alexander Strauss, John MacArthur, uh, Thomas Schooner. Or <laughs> I just butchered his name, man. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, been much, it's been debated. Whether women should serve as deacon. It's restricted really to a, just a couple of verses. So you look into Romans chapter 6, 16, verse 1, and also in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, the verse that we're about to get dive into. Those are the only verses that, that is restricted to concerning about whether women should serve as deacons. And also, let me just say this, is that the, the vagueness of the original language when it comes to wives, in verse 11, is 
has actually kept the fire fuel for X amount of years. It's still going to be debated. And I think it will continue to be debated until Christ comes. And then we'll, then he will tell us plainly <laughs> what that answer is. Um, so with that said, I want to share with you uh, five views on women's identity in relation to verse 11. Now, I just want to make uh, say this, is that the five views actually comes from the, the book that I read in Paul's vision. Uh, it, it's named Paul's vision for the deacons, and it's by Alexander Strauss. And uh, just want to let you know, FYI, he does not uh, believe that women should be deacons. So anyways... He has five uh, viewpoints when it comes to uh, when it comes to deacons. Not that he discovers that the. Let me rephrase that. He's sharing five viewpoints on what he has uh, encountered uh, in his walk when it comes to women. Deacon, can women deacons? Uh, can women be deacons? His view uh, view one. It is titled "All Christian Women in General." He says that this view claims that although Paul is listing the qualifications for male deacons, he interjects into the middle of, of, the, of the passage the four character qualities necessary for, uh, for all the church women. So once again, he's just highlighting uh, uh, really the, uh, the flow. So here we begin, likewise deacons in verse 8, and now he now Paul interjects interjects in verse eleven. Uh, some some translations have it likewise. Well, in my translation, it says wives likewise. So now you see him interjecting a, a basically a new group into the picture. So we see that. Um, let me get back to where I was at. Yeah, so he interjects into the middle of the passage four character qualities necessary for all the, the church women. And that is, to, uh, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful, and everything. Now, the supporters of this view claim that it was not uncommon for Paul to interject unnecessary ideas into uh, his flow of thought. And he uh, gives a, a scriptural reference of that at First, uh, first Timothy chapter 5 starting at verse 22 all the way down to 25. His second view, women deacons. The supporters of this view are very clear about what they mean. They insist that just as they are male, uh, male deacons, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, introduce women deacons. These women are equal to the male deacons and all serve together in the same office. Thus, these women should be called deacons, not deaconess or women helpers. The revised, the revised English Bible translates verse 11 as women in this office, clearly stated that women are fully, de uh, are fully deacons. His next viewpoint, deaconess, well, it's a third view. Uh, a third view argues that women addressed in verse 11 Form a, <clears throat> form a third group of officials in the church that is distinguished from, uh, that is distinguished but similar to that, to that of the male deacons. Thus, 
there are elders, deacons, and deaconess. So if you, if you kind of follow what, what they're saying, or, or basically what he's saying is that you have the office of, de, uh, of elders, you have the office of, of, of deacons, of male deacons, let's put it that way, and then there's the, the office of, of male uh, or female deaconess. And that's where he kind of is explaining. He goes on to continue to say that supporters of this view often use deaconess and women deacons interchangeable, interchangeably, and many use, use the term women deacons, but mean deaconess. There are different variations of this view, but those who hold this view believe deacons are men and deaconess are women. Deaconess primar- uh, primarily serve the women of the, of the church. Women helpers, uh, his next viewpoint is that women helpers or assistants or the deacons. The supporter of this view deny that women of 1 Timothy chapter 311 are deacons or deaconess. Instead, they claim that women addressed address are a separate order of women who minister to other women and to, uh, to the poor and needy of the church. These women assist the deacons, uh, sorry, the women assist the deacons but they have no official title. They are referred to as women helpers or ministry women. So once again, they do not hold any type of position. They're just there to assist in a nutshell. And then there are the deacon's wives. This view under, uh, understands that when listing the requirements for deacons, Paul adds that the deacon's wives also must have appropriate qualifications. Like their husbands, they must be of certain character, Dignified, not slanderous, sober-minded, faithful in all things. The English Standard Version, as well as other versions, has the possessive pronoun there to women in verse 11. The possessive pronoun there is not in the original, uh, not in the original Greek text, which I fully agree. It's not there. It is added by the translator who interpret these women as deacons' wives. Many, if not most, English trans, uh, translate women as wives. So those are the, the five views. Now, not sure if this is appropriate or not, but I did have a, a better explanation for this in, in, in regards to the arguments for and against the deacons. Um, but uh, I made a boo-boo and... Um, I ended up, uh, I had had it all written out on the computer, and I did not save it. And so when I clicked the the word box, closed, and then that was all my work. So, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm just letting you know that I did talk with Pastor Steve, and I'm going to uh, re-record this sermon a- again, so that way um, we can have a, a better understanding when it comes to verse 11 than what I'm giving you right now. I just feel that this is a, a bit unsatisfactory, but uh, I really didn't have enough time to really uh, remember and to hash things out. So uh, I would just ask you for your forgiveness. So the question is, is probably what you guys are probably thinking. This is like, well, what, what do I support? Well, for me, I believe that women can serve as deacons in some settings in the church. Scripture does not give much support to the idea of women serving as deacons, but it does not necessarily disqualify them either. 
If a church does institute the position of deaconess, the church leadership should ensure that the deaconess is in submission to the, uh, to the restriction Paul places on the ministry of women in other passages. Just as all leadership is to be in submission to the church uh, authority, uh, excuse me, authority structure. Um, let me just say this, because I think a lot of times that we have, and, and I will explain this more as I re- redo this, because there, there are words such as when, he, uh, when Paul uses likewise. And I think that's very important, because here he's transitioning points there. He goes on, he, he, he said, first he goes on to say, he talks about the qualifications of the elders. And then he goes, likewise, deacons. So he's transitioning from elders to deacons. And then he goes, likewise, in verse 11, to that of women. So to me, that's a huge indicator that this is a group of women that can serve in the capacity of deaconship. But I think also it's just like a, a lot of times that we have tradition that will say otherwise. Because, what, because of our personal backgrounds in church, and what we have known that we will just not acknowledge or are really to dive into scripture uh, to find out whether or not if it's true or, or if it's true or not. And I just want to highlight that this is a much debated topic in, in, in scripture. So once again, just highlighting that there are many men who, who are scholars, who are who are esteemed pastors, you know, that have debated over this. But let me just quickly point out is that, look, going back again, and that's why I wanted to look to reinstate the responsibilities, or not to reinstate, but to really go go over the the responsibilities of that of deacons. And and because that plays a huge role in why I believe that women can serve within the church. You see, deacons were appointed to serve in a physical capacity as the need arose. And we see that in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 to 3. Now, there is no clear ban against women serving in this way, but in fact, I don't know, like when you look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it may indicate, and it may, it may indicate that a woman named Phoebe was respected, was a respected deaconess within the church. We don't know for sure, but it may. So once again, just highlighting that Let's do our due diligence and let's, let's pray over these things. Let's reason within scripture. But I absolutely believe that women do play a huge role and benefit to the church. In my previous church, or at Community Bible Church, we had women deacons. But we made sure that they were held to the restrictions that Paul places in, in, in passages. That they did not violate 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, chapter 2 verses 12. I remember uh, uh, an, an older lady, uh, her name was Pat, I'm not going to give her her last name, but she was, she was a deaconess at our church, and she helped uh, just assist us and when it comes to the biblical counseling, of when it comes specifically to women. And she helped us out a lot, because there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of hurt, especially after the whole Barry Manko fiasco. She was able to pour into their lives, and that was a, that was a huge help. 
And I think also it's a huge help because it, it doesn't place us men in a position where we have to be alone with with a female because it's, it's something that we don't want to be, <laughs> be in, especially me. But it's always helpful when you have a, uh, uh, well, it was helpful for us having that deaconess that she was able to take charge in that and to lead and to serve. And she also, in turn, was training other women to serve in that capacity. And that's uh, one, one example that I can give. But I would say that none of the women who were deaconess at the church ever violated 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. So with that said, so what's that we come arrived at the application? What can we learn from this passage? Well, the biblical qualifications are essential for the protection of the church. To protect the church from unfit men in leadership, the qualifications protect the church from a hot-tempered man, a violent man, a dominant personality, a greedy man, an unfaithful man, an immature man, a man with poor judgment, an undisciplined man, a man with unfit testimony in the church. You see, God has placed a standard for those in pastoral oversight. And not just anyone can be an elder. Not just anyone can be a deacon. It is important that we understand that, look, we as men, we do not have a right to appoint men as elders because they are friends, friends with you or because you want to honor a person because of for, per, uh, for perfect attendance, just because they're rich and they have a lot of power and pull. These are, let me just point this out as we, as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. This is God's house. He sets the rules. He sets the standards. We are simply called to obey. We are simply called to hold on to every word that, he's, that comes out of his mouth. We are called to live out the gospel. We are called to fight for the gospel. We are called to celebrate the gospel, and we should. We have, as believers, we should be celebrating the gospel. We should be guarding the gospel. We have three gatekeepers here at Sovereign Christian Church. Three gatekeepers. There's Pastor Steve, Pastor Josh. Pastor Brian. And I'm saying gatekeepers here because I wanted to get the, the, a picture of a castle gate or a drawbridge it, to say. And because of that gate, as a result of the gate, they, they protect the people that are inside, inside the gate. They protect us against the savage wolves. They protect us against murderers. They, they, they protect us against the schemes of Satan, against temptation. But you know what? That gate cannot stand on its own. 
So now picture the deacons. I want you to picture the deacons as the support beam, as a, a, as a huge support beam. And usually when you have a gate and you want to keep, make sure that people are not coming in and all of a sudden they're coming in with their battering ramps and they're just hitting the gate. Well, eventually the gate is going to start giving away, right? So what do they, you know, well, what do you do? You place the, the, the beams upon that gate to help secure the gate so the gate does not fall. See, that's the role of the deacons. That is why I say that you are the shock absorbers. Because as that battering ram keeps hitting the gate, the gate, the gate, that, that beam is absorbing the shock. And when it's absorbing the shock, it is, it is actually being helpful to that of the gate, so the gate still stands. Deacons, you play a vital role in the church. This is an office that should not just be overlooked. Let me go back here. In verse 13, it says, For those who have served well as, as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. For those who have served well. And how do you serve? By being that beam and holding that gate up. That you're supporting and aiding the pastors. So then that way they will not be distracted. They will not neglect the word. In conclusion, I just want to say that it is sad to say that some churches have a careless attitude towards the biblical qualifications for elders and deacons today. Yet scripture makes, the, makes it abundantly clear that God's utmost, utmost concern is not buildings, church attendance, or programs, but, with the more, but he is more concerned with the moral and spiritual character of, of those who lead his people, but then also the people that have been purchased by his son's blood. For this reason, church offices of elders and deacons are to be filled by those who are qualified according to God's standards as revealed in Scripture. When the elders fail to hold on to God's standards regarding the qualifications of eldership, it's going to end up kind of like where, where I spoke about at Community Bible Church. When the elders fail to uphold and hold on to the truth of the gospel, sin is just going to run rapid. There'll be no accountability. There'll be no church discipline. There'll be no protection of the sheep. Just remember that there are no shortcuts when it comes to the qualifications of elders and deacons. And lastly, let me just say this. Pastor Scott reminds me that of, of young Timothy. And the reason why he reminds me of young Timothy, because when he assumed the position of senior pastor, he had to deal with this whole mess. And this was, very, this was also very discouraging for him seeing this, this, uh, the financial state of the church, seeing how the conduct of the people were not living according to the, to, the, to the gospel. And he has 
by, by God's grace, he managed to turn things around in that church. And I'm happy to see that things have changed for the gospel. So with that said, let us go to our Lord God in prayer. Lord, I just pray.